This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. AI gets top billing in Subame sequel. And cloud providers face off in Linpack Showdown. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in our partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. Michael, we keep talking about AI, and now we've got a new supercomputer coming online. Tsubame has had a couple of iterations at Tokyo Institute of Technology, Tokyo Tech, and now they're coming out with Tsubame 3.0, and they're really talking up AI for the new uh, incarnation of supercomputing in Japan. Yeah, it looks very interesting, a very very big system. It's going to have something like 12 petaflops of double precision, but since they're using the uh, the new NVIDIA Tesla P100s, they're also going to be using it for AI, and in, in that manner, for that half precision they, they often use for those sort of machine learning applications, it's going to provide upwards of 47 half precision petaflops, so that's a lot of computation for these types of applications, and they made a point in the, in the various announcements surrounding this new system uh, about talking about it in that manner. Now the system's not going to be up and running till sometime this summer, but they're they're building it now. They're they've already designed it, and they're going to have this uh, this new system, and it's it's going to have a lot of capability for researchers and industry engineers who are uh, venturing into this new world of deep learning, and machine learning, and using these uh, these new Tesla P100s. Another interesting thing about this system is it comes out of SGI Japan. Now, SGI Japan, for people who don't remember, was actually separately incorporated underneath SGI at one point. Now, SGI, of course, got acquired by HPE last year, but SGI Japan is still out there essentially as a reseller of these SGI, now SGI HPE products. Uh, But the press release is coming out of SGI Japan. Right, which is sort of interesting, but it is, it's going to be basically an HPE system branded under SGI. It's going to be, in this case, an, an SGI XA system. That's, uh, that's one of their, their mainline HPC clusters, and each, each one in this case is going to be a couple of, uh, couple of Intel CPUs and Xeons, and then four of the uh, NVIDIA Tesla P100 GPUs as well. So a lot of GPUs in this system, pretty, pretty vanilla uh, GPU accelerated cluster in that sense, but very heavy on the GPU side. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Now, well, it's also got an Intel OmniPath interconnect. I think that's right. a, an important note here, 100 gigabits per second uh, OmniPath, and, and we're looking for where is OmniPath going to be coming forward. So they got the high-performance interconnect. But let's look at the, the GPU-heavy nature of this. Now, the previous incarnations of Tsubame also had a lot of GPUs, right? I don't think they were quite up to four, but you were looking before, and the, the last generation had three GPUs per node, didn't it? Right, that was the, the upgrade to Tsubame 2.0. That debuted with the, the Tesla M2050, so that had three. Then they upgraded the uh, that one with uh, with some Tesla K20X uh, GPUs, but again, not as many as in this system, so uh, I think this is going to outdo sort of b- just by balancing the CPU-GPU ratio. This is going to be the high, at the high end of the scale. My point with that is that, you know, we already saw this supercomputing site on the GPU train. They've got a new system coming out. It's pretty GPU-heavy. It's the new P100s. But I'm wondering to what extent this is really an 
AI machine. I get that you can run AI codes on it, but I don't think they're suddenly switching over all of the workloads on Tsubame from traditional HPC to AI. I think AI gets top billing in a sense because it's this hot new area and it is a capability that you have. But I don't know that this supercomputer is remarkably different from the one they would have bought next if they were just thinking about traditional HPC. Yeah, well, that's a that's actually a good question. I mean, they they did put four of these into a node, which is a lot of GPUs for just a regular sort of traditional HPC slash simulation type of uh, um, supercomputer. I mean, they they might have considered maybe a two GPU version um, if they were just thinking they would be doing traditional, more traditional or more conventional HPC workloads. So maybe they did, or maybe they already had the idea of putting a very GPU uh, intensive uh, platform. I mean, Tsubami, as as we noted, sort of paved the way in Japan for these accelerators. Uh, the accelerator model for supercomputing. Maybe they're just at a point now where a lot of their user base is, is very much up and running with CUDA applications and got a lot of legacy code that can run on these things very efficiently. So I don't know if there's any way to tell that unless you know we got somebody who sort yeah. of admitted what was going on here, um, which they're not apt to do. But certainly these this system will be used for a lot of the HPC codes that have been developed on there. Remember the Subami line started... Uh, over 10 years ago, and for most of that time, it's it's been available with these uh, these GPUs. So there's a lot of CUDA codes that have been built up around it, and presumably they'll get transferred into these later iterations. So a lot of the a lot of the computing you can presume is going to be on just regular old HPC applications. Right. Well, regular old supercomputer applications. Yeah. Boring. That's exactly my point, though. Right? Is that you know I think a lot of the fantastic <clears throat> research we're going to see here is in the general scientific computing space, and AI is the hot new headline. We've seen this before with previous previous uh, exciting areas that have come through the supercomputing land where people, you know, here's our supercomputer for cloud or for grid or for big data. And they're, they're remarkably similar than the supercomputer you, you wanted to buy anyway, but maybe it helped you get funding. Maybe it's good PR. Or maybe, maybe you really do have this new application, but I think we will see a lot of traditional HPC on Subame also. Now, this isn't the only supercomputer in Japan we've talked about even recently in the last couple of months uh, having to do with AI. We were just on this week in HPC after supercomputing, uh, uh, I think in December, we were talking about a, uh, a new supercomputer that really was um, targeting AI in the sense of those are the workloads they were recruiting uh, for uh, AIST in Japan to build a new supercomputer, right? Right. That was the one AIST, the National Institute of Advanced Industrial Science and Technology, also in Japan. Right. They had talked about that strictly I shouldn't say strictly, but mostly as an AI-capable supercomputer, although that one as well will run HPC workloads. But it was it was built sort of uh, front and center with those AI workloads in mind. Now, I don't know if it's going to run any greater percentage of AI workloads, at least initially, than than any of the other supercomputers in Japan. But certainly that, that was sort of informed from its very inception that it was going to be um, – designed and oriented around those workloads. And that's actually going to be a larger system. That That's going to top out at 130 uh, half-precision petaflops. Now, so that'll be uh, two or three times 
the size of, of the system at Tokyo Tech, but that'll be deployed later. Uh, they're talking about late in 2017 or maybe even early 2018 for that system, whereas the Tokyo Tech system is supposed to be up and running by the, by this summer. All right. Now, Michael, also this week in HPC, we're talking about you know, cloud and big data and other things. And cloud and HPC has become a perennial topic in terms of how much HPC actually gets run in the cloud. What we haven't had is a lot of benchmarks going on. And you've written at top500.org about a company called Exabyte. Uh, that that has a cloud hosting platform, and they've endeavored now to run a Linpack benchmark a, across a couple of the different uh, cloud service platforms uh, to see how they how they stack up. Right now, we should keep in mind Exabyte is its own. It's, it's a sort of a specialist in the in the HPC cloud space. It does materials discovery clouds. They have sort of a software layer on top of. Uh, uh, cloud infrastructure and they use themselves they they use four different uh, infrastructure providers in this case AWS Azure from Microsoft uh, IBM SoftLayer and Rackspace um, so they use all those and they actually tested their own uh, partners to see how Limpack would run across those different clouds they didn't test a, you know really large systems they tested up to 32 nodes and they they scoped out Limpack for those um, to see sort of the differences across those. And, and what they found was really nothing too surprising. The one that had InfiniBand uh, interconnect in there as well as high-performance CPUs fared best, and that turned out to be uh, Azure and, and specifically one of, the, uh, uh, one of the Azure instances called the H-Series H16 instance turned out to be the best in, in, in Limpact just because it, it basically resembled a... Uh, a typical HPC cluster with high-end uh, Xeon CPUs and a uh, EDR InfiniBand uh, interconnect. Yeah, Microsoft has certainly been investing a lot in the Azure cloud for high-performance applications, so that's not a big surprise. Now, Google Cloud was not part of this benchmark. They've been uh, running as the number two cloud provider for HPC applications, but Azure gaining awfully fast uh, and could overtake Google for that number two spot behind AWS and Amazon. But, you know, there are a couple others missing here who are, again, HPC specialists. You don't see a Nimbix or a Penguin on demand, as you were pointing out uh, right. in this mix. But, you know, to me, I, I don't think that's the biggest deal here. I think it's interesting in terms of showing that you can get performance on an HPC application in the cloud. The fact that it's up to only 32 nodes does not concern me because it's mostly entry-level codes that you're running in cloud environments. And then if you get it scaling to 32, well, then you can buy more nodes from there. This is how most people get started anyway. So it's, it's an interesting... Uh, academic exercise to show that it's possible, but I think that's exactly the the marketing benefit that Exabyte was going for here. Yeah, I think that's correct, although it, there is sort of a widespread, um, and you can say it's a myth to a certain extent because this has been disproven before in, in various ways, that that the cloud systems don't have the performance of a regular supercomputer. And what they what they actually did here is they did compare it to a conventional supercomputer, in this case, Edison, the, uh, the super, the, actually it's an XC30 supercomputer from Cray that's operating at, uh, at Berkeley Lab. And uh, the results, at least from this limited impact run, is it actually came out superior to Edison in, uh, in 
Linpack performance, although we have to say that it looks like uh, Exabyte sort of botched the Limpack run on Edison to some extent. They didn't get very good numbers out of that peak performance there. But basically, um, even if you look at the sort of the efficiency that it, it, uh, Edison got on Limpack in the in the actual top 500 run, you can see it's comparable to to some of these clouds. So the the knock on um, clouds that they're not performant enough and uh, has been something I think that to some extent has held back wide, more widespread usage. But um, at least for people in the know, they realize that's not the case. And, and it's the, the other barriers that, that we've talked about on the show in the past that have really kept um, a lot of users out of the cloud market or the cloud use model in, uh, in HPC in the past. But at least this sort of just adds a little bit more data points to the fact that if you can get the price and the cost model and, and some of these other barriers out of the way, that these systems with the right hardware can actually perform as just as a, a normal supercomputer would be uh, that was that was in-house. Yeah, that's, that I think is a fair point. Now, I don't, I still don't see cloud really making a huge dent in the overall HPC market as a result. I think what they've really shown here is metaphorically, it used to be if you didn't own a car, well, you could take the bus. And a big reason people didn't like that was, well, I, I hate taking the bus. And now you've gone to, if you don't own a car, you can rent a car and get a, essentially the same experience. But just because you can do that doesn't mean everybody's going to start trading in their cars and only rent cars anymore. There are lots of other reasons why people own cars instead of renting cars. And, and for most HPC centers that keep their uh, usage rate up where you're driving that car all the time, it, it doesn't make economic sense to rent it instead of owning it. And that's really where the, most of the HPC market is going to be. But this benchmark does show that, you know, for the times when you, you don't have a car, you, you're, I don't have access to a high-performance system when I want one or I, I need some capability that I don't currently have access to, well, I can rent one and get close to the same experience that anyone else would get. Yeah, I mean, I basically agree with you all. I think that the metaphor is, is a little bit misleading there because, like, if you think of a system like Edison, the users there are also renting a bus. They're using Edison remotely, and they're you're using it like a, a cloud resource. They have to get in a, a job queue, but they're basically borrowing time on this uh, on, on this infrastructure as well. Um, but the problem is, NERSC and the DOE is not charging this user base for anything. So basically, they get a ride on the bus, but it's free. So the fact that sometimes they have to wait a long time in line and do it, they don't care so much because it doesn't cost them any money. But when it comes right down to it, the the DOE is paying for this. There is a there is a, a cost associated with with every job run there, and uh, certainly in power usage and and uh, maintenance and overhead, and, and certainly with the capital cost of Edison, which was considerable. Um, they're just not charging anybody. So when you when you buy something in the cloud, you 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 rent the same bus basically, but all the costs are up front. So in a sense, it's sort of a a hidden cost versus a, an upfront cost, and I think that's that's one of the main problems when you're comparing it to some of these larger systems. It's just you have different um, cost models, and and from the user point of view, they they just don't look equivalent. But you're basically paying for the same type of thing. Yeah, it's the same type of thing, and and I take your point that people don't like waiting in queues either. And you know, if I've 
I, I don't want to keep pushing the car metaphor too far. So, you know, just say that I want to, I'm interested in spending some of my own money at some level so I don't have to wait and use the shared resource. I understand right. that that's there. I, I still don't think it adds a great deal of revenue into the cloud uh, HPC model at an industry level, but it is an interesting benchmark and uh, uh, interesting to see it because we, we haven't seen anything like that out there before with uh, a Linpack comparison in cloud. Yeah, I'd like to see more of these comparisons. I, I mentioned in my article they could run the, some of the the more advanced uh, benchmarks out there for the H, uh, HCPG uh, benchmark and some of the application benchmarks as well, or, or the applications themselves in, in some of these clouds and really get some uh, some good data out there. But at least this is a nice start, and maybe we'll get the discussion going. We'll get the discussion going, Michael. Thanks again for uh, another couple of great stories. We'll be back next week. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.